Welcome back, Keith, and we'll talk about the MLB offseason and what is happening with both the Dodgers and the Mets. But first off, we'll start off with the important topic. Is, is, is momentum building with Bryce Harper staying with the Nationals, or is Manny Machado going to take his talents to the south side of Chicago to play for the Chicago White Sox? Oof. Well, let's start with Bryce Harper. Um, I personally don't think that Bryce Harper is going to the Nationals. I wrote about this the other day. Um, Listen, there are certain things in life that just plateau. They run their course, and, and that's completely okay. And I think this is one of those things for the Nationals. I also think that bringing him back would stunt the development of a guy like a Victor Robles, um, who guys are very high on. I've listened to a couple of scouts say that they've compared him to a Ronald Acuna-type talent. Um, and I think that, you know, listen, he wouldn't have denied the first $300 million deal if he – was going back to the Nationals. I think right now his number one priority is looking for the highest contract possible, um, which is why my two front runners right now are the Phillies and actually the Dodgers. I know he's being linked to the Phillies and the White Sox right now, but my logic kind of behind the Dodgers is why would the Dodgers have moved Kemp and Puig out of that outfield if they didn't think that there was a realistic possibility that Harper would come back? Yeah, I mean, um, we'll get – for, for my opinion on, on Bryce Harper, I do think he comes back to the Nationals so that he could pair with Victor Robles and um, Juan Soto. Because I think you have a dynamic outfield, and I don't think Adam Eaton should start to be an everyday player for the Nationals because he can't manage to stay healthy. For me, I think Bryce Harper is going to be back to the Washington Nationals so that he could play with Victor Robles and Juan Soto. And that would be an absolutely dynamic outfield. It really would. Um, I, I do think that, again, like I said, it's going to be about the money. Um, if the if the Nationals are able to match the contracts or even, you know, build, I think the marker that we're looking for here, it's going to be about can the team that he signs with go over the Giancarlo Stanton line? That's the important thing. That's what Scott Boris is looking for, the most money possible. If they can go over that Giancarlo Stanton line, whether it's total, total money or uh, average annual, annual value, that's what it's going to be really about. Um, I think any team that he goes to is going to be significantly better. I think if he goes back to the Nationals with that dynamic outfield, that's going to – right now I see them catapulting atop the NL East. I know the Braves are good. The Mets have improved and – um, I, I think the only way that the Phillies really kind of get out of where they're at is if they sign Harper. Um, but I think that going back to the Nationals would put them right back atop the NL East, especially with the signings that they've made to that starting rotation. Oh, yeah. I think the Nationals could definitely keep Harper. And also the, the Phillies, to your point there, the Phillies are going to be pretty good because they got Andrew McCutcheon, who I think is going to help out the Phillies pretty well. Or – the Phillies could save up for next offseason to get Mike Trout. Oh man, that is uh wow. My biggest my biggest fear in the world. You just put that to my attention. Um Mike Trout is one of my favorite players in Major League Baseball. I actually grow up I actually live about 45 minutes away from the town that he grew up in. Um, so I've been following him for a very, very long time. I love him, but bringing the best baseball player on the planet to Philadelphia would completely instill fear in me for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, since Mike Trout loves Philadelphia, he grew up an Eagles fan, and he, I think he grew up a Phillies fan too. Yeah, he did, um, and that would just that, – that would emotionally wreck me. 
Um, but you know, Harper, Harper being put into that Phillies team, I think would be incredibly important for their development moving forward. Um, you know, they got a lot of nice young players. I love Reese. I love Reese Hoskins. Um, I think the Gene Segura trade was an excellent trade and I love Aaron Nola at the top of that rotation. But, you know, again, like I said, I think getting a guy like a Harper as a superstar is what's going to take this team forward, uh, for the next five or so years. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with Harper, I, I I see Bryce Harper, in my opinion, like I said, he will remain a national so that he can play with Juan Soto and Victor Robles in that dynamic outfield. So I see that happening. And with Machado, now we'll get to Machado. I see him going to the Chicago White Sox. I would love to see him go to the Chicago White Sox. Here's the thing that I'm a little bit wary about, right? So I think one of the main things that Machado has been looking for, and we kind of saw this at the end of his tenure with the Baltimore Orioles. We saw this a little bit with the um, – with the Dodgers, excuse me, I think he's going to want to play shortstop. And I think you take a look at Tim Anderson. He's a nice shortstop. I would love to see whether, if they sign Machado, I would love to see whether they would put him at third base or they would be willing to move Tim Anderson to third and put Machado at shortstop. Because statistically, Machado is one of the best defensive third basemen that we've seen over the last 10 years. But he has the range. He's got the arm strength to play shortstop. So we'll see what they want to do with Tim Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we'll, I, I, think, I think with the White Sox sign Machado, I see him starting at third base because he's like he has his moments as being a gold glove third baseman. And, and with Manny Machado – the reason why he was on the Dodgers last year was because Corey Seager was hurt. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I the, the White Sox are kind of in a, in a little bit of a weird spot right now because that division is, is not slipping away from the Cleveland Indians anytime soon as far as I'm concerned. Um, and the only way that they would really break through the playoffs is through that wild card spot. And there's a lot of really great teams. You still have the Yankees. Um, you still have the Oakland Athletics. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are still very, very viable for that wild card position. And, um, you know, getting Machado would absolutely push them in the right direction. And they have, a, they have a lot of really young talent. So I think getting Machado would be a very, very good first step for them. Yeah, and they have the young core to do it. And, and, and we'll also discuss the three teams that we think will rise and the three th- teams that will disappoint in just a, in just a moment. Um, and also talk about the five team the and also when we do our all MLB preview in February, we'll also talk about the five teams that we're very excited about to watch when the new season starts. But um, speaking of the White Sox, they're a team that I'm very excited to watch about. Like we'll talk about them in a moment. I think the White Sox are a team that is going to be very exciting to watch this year. Um, they got a good young core. I like Moncada. I like Michael Kopich. Um, Lucas Giolito is going to be an ace. I just like their ro- I like their rotation, and I I like their I like how they I like I also like their young core too. I I do I really do I love Moncada. You mentioned him. Um, I, I I think having Jose Abreu as an anchor in that lineup is very important. Um, Reynaldo Lopez is a guy in that rotation. He kind of slips underneath of uh, Kopech and Giolito. They're kind of the bigger names, but Lopez has big time stuff. Um, and I like the couple of things that they've done with their bullpen. I think adding a guy like a Kelvin Herrera, who's got playoff experience, um, you know, his fastball velocity has dipped over the last couple of years, but he's still a hard thrower, very reliable guy. Um, I, I do think they need to add some more pitching. 
Um, and they really got to work out the kinks a little bit with Giolito. He's got to get that walk rate down, absolutely. Um, but they do have a very nice young core. They're headed in the right direction. They're kind of, you know, they, they were a little stagnant at the bottom for a while, not really going anywhere, but they have some nice young pieces. And I think there's a bright future there in Chicago. Yeah, and they actually won trades and getting, like, people in return. Like, when they traded Chris Sale to the Red Sox, they got a good amount of returns. And then trading Jose Quintana. The White Sox are a team that is going to be better, and I look forward to seeing them play when the upcoming season starts. And we'll get to, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. And um, I think um, now let's kind of outline the uh, Dodgers and Mets 2019 roster obviously we'll start with the Dodgers today they added Russell Martin so um what I have as my projected 25 man roster for the Dodgers to begin the season um for the position player stand for it I have Russell Martin as the backup catcher to Kiebert Ruiz who I expect to be the opening day starting catcher and then for my infield group I have Max Muncie Kike Hernandez, Corey Seager, and Justin Turner as the starting infielders with the infield reserve of Austin Barnes and uh, David Freed. And then my outfield group will be for the starting unit for the outfielders will be Alex Verdugo, Cody Bellinger, and Chris Taylor, and Jock Peterson as the reserve. Okay. Um, I look From at my it- position player position standpoint. And then I'll get to the pitchers in just a minute after you go through your position players standpoint for the Mets 25 man roster. Absolutely. Um, so for the, for the Mets 25 man roster, um, I would really like to see them start Jed Lowry at third base. Um, I think that that would be the right way to go. Shortstop, obviously you're going to use Ahmed Rosario. Second base, I have Robinson Cano. First base, if Peter Alonso shows himself at spring training, I, I, I have a lot of high hopes for that guy, especially coming off of the year that he had last year, starting him at first. Um, it's a deep infield. I have uh, McNeil and um, and Todd Frazier as my backups. Uh, the catching position, Wilson Ramos will be my starter. As of right now, Travis Darno will be my backup. I'm a little shaky on Darno, but uh, you know he he's he's got power potential when he stays healthy. He's a good framer of the baseball behind the plate. Uh, in my outfield, I have Brandon Nimmo uh, in starting in right field. I have Keon Broxton, who they acquired in a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers as my starting center fielder. Uh, I have Brandon uh, Michael Conforto, excuse me, in left field. And my outfield reserves, I have Rajay Davis and Juan Lagares. Yeah, Juan Lagares. I think Juan Lagares will probably start for the Mets because Juan Lagares is definitely a guy that is a great player when he's healthy. And I want to ask you a question. Um, when do you think Yohannes Cespedes is going to come back? Um, <laughs> when healthy, he is an important piece to that lineup. Oh, he's a monster. And, you know, I, I think that best case scenario, I'd love to see him come back in August, maybe mid to late August. I'd love to see him come back. Realistically speaking, I don't think he'll be back this year. I think, you know, with his injury history and, you know, coming off of a, a, a double heel surgery, I think that this is a year that they're going to want to take it slow. And especially, I think, because of the fact that you're, you're still wanting to kind of see even further development from guys like Nimmo and Conforto, who I'm, you know, I love Michael Conforto. I think this is a year that he's going to have that that breakout big year that we've been waiting for as Mets fans. He's a great player. He's shown flashes and you know, I, I think rushing Cespedes back would one kind of hurt Cespedes in a way in his uh, in his rehabilitation, but two, I think it might kind of 
some momentum for Conforto and Nemo in that outfield. Yeah, I I think what I want I think Michael Conforto is that next franchise player for the New York Mets. Now that David Wright's retired, expect Michael Conforto to be that next franchise player for the New York Mets and that franchise hitter. But how I see the Mets infield now with Jed Lowry on board, I see Jed Lowry as a utility player on that team. So that Todd Brazier starts at third, and then you start uh, Robbie Cano at second, and then you start um, Peter Alonzo at first with Ahmed Rosario at short with Wilson Ramos and Catherine. And obviously, you just go with Ligaris and Nemo and Conforto in the outfield. I'd love to see Laguerre start in center. I would, um, you know, the one thing we've all been waiting for is kind of that, uh, that jump as far as it goes offensively. He's obviously a great defender. We've seen what he can do defensively in the outfield. But, um, you know, obviously I'm not asking for him to be a, a 320 home run guy. But, you know, I, I'd love to see a, a 280-285 season out of him, a productive lower lineup guy brings that defense every day. I want to see him be a guy that you can plug into the outfield for 150 plus games and not have him platoon because he has the skills. He does have the skills. And Nemo, I think is a guy that I think is going to be in right field, but this is going to be a tough decision for the Mets to do it. Once if Cespedes is healthy, I think the Mets probably will trade Cespedes because of the developments and emergence of Conforto and Nemo just to be safe, you know, because I think Cespedes could be on it, could be used on a team that I think could be, like maybe trade him back to the A's, which I think would be a great fit for him. If uh, if say that Conforto and Nemo are the guys that have really emerged now that and Bruce is gone, now you uh, have Cano yeah. and you have Diaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would uh, you would certainly like to get production out of Cespedes, but I do I, I do agree with you in the sense that if there is a market for him on the trade, you know, in a in a trade situation, I do think that you have to be all ears for that. Um, you know, I, I I appreciate what he did in New York. Obviously, we wouldn't have made it to the World Series in 2015 if he hadn't been there and done what he did. But um, you know, I I think that the I, I think that the time has kind of ended a little bit for Cespedes in New York. Yeah, for sure. And then now to the Dodgers. Um, I really think that this this Dodger team is going to win the World Series for the first time since 1988, and I think this is the third time the charm is to do it. Trading Yasiel Puig is and and Matt Kemp had to happen just to save money. And I think that was best for the Dodgers. And I bet that was right for them going forward. And um, I just wanted to ask get your perspective. Are they in a good place financially after the deal with the Reds? I do think they're in a uh, good place financially getting Kemp off the books. I know it's only a one year deal, but that 21 million is big. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he, even though he is in an arbitration year, you look at Yasiel Puig, I think he probably would have, demanded something in the 13 to 15 million dollar range so that would have been a a, a mid-range cap hit and you know getting those guys off the books and and getting them out of that that crowded outfield where you know you're you're feasting for playing time is is definitely important and you know especially for a guy like Alex Verdugo who I know you as a, a Dodgers fan can can provide a little bit more perspective on this that they've certainly been waiting for him to kind of show what he could do at the big league level. Absolutely. I'm very excited about Alex Verdugo being a starting outfielder for the Dodgers and I think trading Kemp and Puig had to make sense because I'm more because for me I really am excited about the development and also the future of Alex Verdugo and he's a guy that the Dodgers didn't want to include in trade talks when the Dodgers wanted to make big trades, but I see Alex Verdugo as our starting right fielder now, like I talked about earlier. 
and um, talk about the state of the Dodgers. I see Chris Taylor starting in left field because I just don't see Jock Peterson as an everyday player because he's inconsistent. He's a guy that only knows how to hit righties, but he just doesn't hit well against lefties. That's no, he does that, not. That bothers me about Jock Peterson. Yeah, and, you know, he's – and, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a guy like that off the bench who brings incredible pop against against right-handed hit uh, pitching, excuse me. But, you know, like you said, he's he's not a guy that you can plug into your everyday lineup, the lack of consistency. Um, I You know, to me, he's always had a, a, a big kind of one-sided home run swing. Um, you know, he's a, he's a good defensive outfielder, but, you know, again, he's one of those guys that – I would love to have off the bench as a right hand, you know, as a guy that you can bring in against right-handed pitching big game situation to have that pop. Absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially for, um, especially for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah. I don't see Jock Peterson starting in left field. I'm giving that the left field job to Chris Taylor because Chris Taylor's a guy that although he had a very tough year, I didn't say it was the worst year of his career last year. It was just, he just struck out so much last year, but not not his fault, not to blame him for that. I think Chris Taylor is a guy that I see as our starting left fielder, and I like his range and defense out there in left field, and he's a guy that really knows how to hit the ball for contact and doesn't even – he's not a guy that swings at the first pitch. He's a very disciplined hitter if you talk, if, if you talk about Chris Taylor. Yeah, he's a very, very good player. I'm a big fan of Chris Taylor – uh, excellent versatility as well. He's a guy you can plug in anywhere. And, you know, I, I've, I've been a, a fan of him since he came into the Dodgers. I got to, you know, really take a look at him uh, over the last couple of years. He's a very, very solid hitter. Um, he's a guy that, you know, you can plug in anywhere in the lineup as well. You know, he's got 20 home run power. You can bring him in in that 5-6 spot. But he's a good enough hitter and, it you know, is able to work counts well enough to where you can plug him right into that leadoff spot and, you know, you, you can get good production out of him as well. He is our leadoff hitter for the Dodgers, and I say that because Chris Taylor, last year he struck out too much, but it was not his fault and not to blame him for the mistakes he had. He just could the, the pitchers knew how to pitch through him last year. And yeah. I think Chris Taylor is a guy that I expect to be an everyday player along with Kike Hernandez. And we'll get to Kike, let's get to Kike Hernandez. Because I expect Chris Taylor to start in left field, like I said earlier. Mm -hmm. I expect Kike Hernandez to start at second base. I think there's no reason why he shouldn't. Because Kike Hernandez has shown that he's not only a good utility player. From what I saw from him last year, he's made a lot of improvements on hitting righties and lefties. The average is going to be better this year because I feel like that there's something in Kike that I think it's going to make him a key player and a fan favorite make him a key player on this Dodgers team going forward. Cause I always liked this kid since he became a Dodger. Yeah. He's a great hitter. I think for Kike, it was always about over the last couple of years, just plug that kid in the lineup, let him get some reps. And we saw it last year, his development uh, from a hitting perspective, he's going to bring you good at bats every single time out. He is never going to get cheated at the plate. Um, and he's one of those guys that is just – he's a very, very solid all-around player. And I see absolutely no reason why he shouldn't start at second base. I think that the middle combination of him and Seager up the middle is going to be one of the better ones in baseball. Yeah, we'll get to Seager in a minute. But there's a reason why I expect Chris Taylor and uh, Kike Hernandez in the lineup every day. First of all, I love their defense out there. And starting Chris Taylor in left field, I think he has done a great job being an outfielder and and – I don't, I don't think Max Muncy's the second baseman because I think Max Muncy makes too many errors when he plays second and third. Max Muncy is more comfortable at first. 
Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And he's a, you know, Max Muncie is a guy that is, you know, like you said, he's much more comfortable at first base and, you know, obviously you've got to leave people where they're comfortable. I was actually surprised uh, talking about Chris Taylor for a second. I've been surprised for the last couple of years that the, you know, he, he's had much better range in the outfield than I would have expected from a guy who coming up was primarily more of a shortstop. Yeah, I think Chris Taylor has grown to have very good range in the outfield. So that's why, for me, I like Chris Taylor as our starting left fielder. And Cody Bellinger, although I think he's a first baseman, I think his speed is has been really good in center field. And I really like his range in center field. Yeah, he's got underrated speed. He's not a guy that's obviously going to blow you out of the water with, with Billy Hamilton's speed, but he takes good routes to the baseball. He has a much better arm than a lot of people give him credit for. That's the other thing in center field that I really like about him as well. Yeah, and uh, talk about the um, sophomore slump he had last year. I think the sophomore slump wasn't in his in his character and his in his favor last year i knew he was trying hard to get out of that sophomore slump but i just think last year it just wasn't the year that he continued his rookie of the year progress but i expect him to be better in 2019 and i think he's he will be a lot better in 2019 than he was last season oh i do as well and you know that that typically happens for a lot of guys you get to that second year uh, a lot of pitchers figure out how to pitch to you. And, you know, I think Bellinger's one of those guys that, you know, he, he's got a little bit of a bigger swing. You can get him on that breaking ball in the dirt a little bit, especially against lefties. And, you know, I think he'll take that experience and, and kind of grow into it. I'd love to see him early on. Let's see if he has a little bit more of a disciplined eye at the plate, especially, as I said, with that breaking ball low. We'll see. Um, you know, there's obviously you, you have a, you know, the, you know, uh, you have that growth typically in that third year. And I really hope all the best for him. I think that this year's the year that he could be a 30 home run, hundred RBI guy. Oh, for sure. I'm right. I'm wait. I'm ready to see Cody Bellinger get a hundred RBIs. And what I think with breakout players with, with different players that the Dodgers have each year for rookies, I see Alex Verdugo being that next breakout rookie for the Dodgers. And I'm very excited about him because he has a good IQ of, of how to hit in the batter's box and very disciplined hitter. And he's a guy that has a cannon of an arm in right field. Yeah. I think he's going to be a very good young player. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't know a whole ton about him. I've heard a lot of hype, um, but you know, I'd really love to see what he can do on a full-time basis. And that's why I think getting, uh, getting Puig and, and Kemp out of that crowded outfield is so incredibly important. I'd love to see the development. Um, and you know, as a Mets fan, I'm ready to, I'm ready to watch. I'm ready to watch. I'm very excited. I've heard a lot of hype and I'm ready to see what the kid can do. Yeah, for sure. But, um, now that Grandal's out and I was going to talk about if the daughters were going to resign Grandal, but I'm going to take that subject out and he's now Mm -hmm. a Milwaukee brewer Mm -hmm. and the daughters today traded for Russell Martin, which I'm very happy about because Russell Martin Used to be a Dodger, and I think he's going to be a great mentor to our young catchers in Austin Barnes, Will Smith, and Kiebert Ruiz. I mentioned earlier in the episode that um, Kiebert Ruiz is a catcher I like, and I expect him to be the opening day catch, opening day catcher when opening day is underway. So that Austin Barnes could, could be a backup second baseman, and then Russell Martin is the backup catcher to young Kiebert Ruiz. And I see Will Smith debuting at some point later in the year. I absolutely love the move for Russell Walsh, uh, Martin. Excuse me. I love that move. It's like when you have a young quarterback and you bring in a veteran quarterback like a Josh McCown as a backup to have a mentor. This is a guy in Russell Martin that has been 
around the league. He's been in the playoffs. He's hit. Uh, He's a good catcher. He's always been great with pitchers. And he's one of those guys that I think is going to be absolutely essential for the development of those young catchers in the Dodgers. I was ecstatic about that move when I saw that today. That's a brilliant move by the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah. And do you even think Kiber Ruiz is going to make the opening day roster? Because I 100% believe that a double-A player could make it to the bigs. And it's rare that happens. And I think that's my bold prediction this year. Is that Kiebert Ruiz skips Triple A and makes it to the Dodgers? I do. Be- from out of I do believe so. I do believe that he will. Um, you know, obviously, it's not completely out of the question for guys at, uh, at the Double A level uh, to make it to the big leagues. I think the biggest question here is, um, you know, obviously that jump. I think a lot of people here. Here's the thing about Double A and Triple A. What you see in Double A, typically, you get the most electric talent. In double A, whereas in triple A, you'll find a lot of guys that are major league pitching. You'll see a lot more, you know, you'll see a much better control, much better command of off speed stuff in and out of the strike zone. I want to see how he's able to adjust to that in spring training. We'll get a good look at that, obviously. Um, But, you know, listen, if, if the kid can perform, there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't bring him up. Yeah, he, 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 the, the Dodgers, uh, purchased Kiebert Ruiz's contract back in November to protect him from the Rule 5 draft. And I see Will Smith's debut coming coming at a later time now, now that Russell Martin's back with the Dodgers. I like Will Smith, too. I think Will Smith's great. But I see Kiebert Ruiz being ahead of Will Smith development. Yeah, and the great thing, honestly, right now for the Dodgers is, you know, they have so much depth at that catching position, at a young, you know, at young catching um, and bringing in a guy like Russell Martin is going to be able to help them develop much quicker. And, uh, you know, like I said, I absolutely love that move for them. And, you know, I, I think it's going to bring nothing but great things. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of great things for the Dodgers for the upcoming 2019 season. So moving on from Grandal's just just what it is. It wasn't a big loss for the Dodgers to lose Yasmani Grandal in free agency. But that being said, let's start off with predicting the lineups for the Dodgers for the upcoming season. So um, for the Dodgers, I have their opening day lineup is and who and what and what I think will be their primary lineup when the 2019 season kicks off. I have Chris Taylor leading off. I have Corey Seager batting second and playing shortstop. Then I have Justin Turner hitting third, Max Muncy hitting fourth, Kike Hernandez hitting fifth. Then I have Cody Bellinger hitting sixth. Then Kiebert Ruiz, the guy who I talked about, will bat seventh and do the catching. And then Alex Verdugo will bat eighth and play right field. Okay. I have a, I have a fairly similar lineup. I have Chris Taylor leading off. Uh, I have Corey Seager batting second. I actually have Max Muncy batting in the third position, although I do really like the idea of having Seager, Turner, Muncy to be able to get that lefty, righty, lefty. Um, I have Cody Bellinger batting in the fifth spot. I have Kike Hernandez batting sixth. Um, I have Alex Verdugo batting seventh, and I have Kiber Ruiz batting eighth. Yeah, I have Ruiz batting seventh because I want the Bellinger, then the Ruiz, and then the Verdugo six, seven, eight. And then Justin Turner's always been that third hitter. I know you had Justin Turner as a New York Met, but are you are you saying in your opinion that you think Max Muncy's going to move up to the three-hole and then Justin Turner drops down? I think – I wouldn't even call it dropping down. I think it's more so of an idea of let's get Muncie even better pitches to hit early on in the game. I want to see him be able to have these 
early on RBI situations because, you know, Chris Taylor's a guy, he's going to be able to get on base. He can hit. He's got a good eye at the plate. He draws walks. Obviously last year he had a little bit of strike and high strikeout numbers, but he's a guy that typically is able to get on base. I want to see have Max Muncy have earlier RBI opportunities. I do like the idea that you had, obviously, like I said, of Turner, Muncy, Bellinger. I love the left, the, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the righty lefty, uh, right, the righty lefty kind of, uh, you know, flip around as far as having, uh, yeah. Cause in between, uh, Muncie and Ballinger, I have Kike hit his fifth. Yeah. And I do, I do actually like Kike in the five spot. I think he could be a very capable five hole hitter. He's got good gap power, uh, underrated power all around. And, you know, he's a guy that has, is a very, very good situational hitter. Yeah, I I agree with that 100%. I mean, Kike is, is that number five hitter that could provide protection for Muncie and Bellinger. And I think Cody Bellinger, the reason why I have him in the sixth spot, in my opinion, is because I think it's from that sophomore slump, and I think this could help him get his confidence back yeah, up again. Yeah, I agree with that. In the way that I was looking at it, in the five hole for Bellinger, I think starting him off, in that high position lets you know right away, okay, kid, you had that sophomore slump, but we have the confidence in you to throw you in that middle of the order. We see you as a high-impact bat. Go in there and do your thing. And I think that that's, you know, right from the jump start, being able to have that type of confidence instilled in you, I think is only going to be beneficial for Bellinger. Yeah, so now I already predicted my projections and also yours for the Dodgers batting order. I'm going to predict the Mets batting order. So I have the leading I have Brandon Nemo leading off and then Michael Conforto hitting second. Ahmed Rosario hitting third. And then the four hitter will be uh Robbie mm-hmm. Cano. And then Todd Frazier hits fifth. And then and then hitting sixth is the catcher Wilson Ramos. And then I have the seven hitter being uh Peter Alonzo batting seventh playing first base and then I have the eight-hitter being Juan Lagares in mm-hmm. field. Okay, and I do like that lineup. I know we had um, we talked a little bit about earlier how we had a little bit of discrepancies as far as the starting lineup goes for positionally-wise for the Mets. Um, so my lineup, I have, I have Jed Lowry hitting first. Uh, I like him in the one spot. Uh, he does have RBI ability. He can drive in runs, but he's also a good contact hitter. So I throw him in that one spot. I don't think right now, I look at the New York Mets. I don't see them having a true one hitter just because I look at Brandon Nimmo. He has that. He's shown some power and he's a little bit, he can be a little bit antsy at the plate. Ahmed Rosario, I think has too big of a swing to be a leadoff hitter. So I'm not going to throw him up there, obviously. And I see Conforto as a little bit of a middle of the order uh, type of bat. Um, I have Lowry batting first. I'm like you, I have Conforto batting second. Um, I have Cano in the three hole with Wilson Ramos batting fourth. Um, I have Brandon Nimmo batting fifth. I have Rosario sixth. Um, uh, excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> Peter Alonso batting seventh. And I mentioned earlier that I had Keon Broxton over Juan Lagares starting in center field. I have him batting eighth. Yeah, the reason why I have Nemo leading off is because you got to have speed in the lineup. And that's why I have. I have a Nemo and Conforto, but I'm going to change my mind on that. I'm going to have a Rosario hit second behind uh, conf- behind Nemo, and Michael Conforto is the number three hitter. So I changed my mind on, on that. Okay, all right. Um, uh, I, I will – So I changed my mind in the top three for the Mets order. So that's why I have uh, that's why I have Nemo, Rosario, and Conforto, one, two, yeah. three. 
Yeah, and um, I do I do like bringing uh, Rosario up in the lineup a little bit. I do think he has a little bit of a bigger swing. Um, obviously, I you know last year in the second half he kind of was able to take that big swing and and show some real power with it, and I like it a lot. And he's got good speed. I think he could be a, a Reyes type guy with a little bit more power. Um, but again, like I said, the bigger swing is going to have him drop him uh, down in the lineup for me a little bit. Yeah, stay right here. I'm going to use the restroom, and then we'll be right back. I'll be, we'll be right back, and then we'll talk about the projected rotations for you both got it. teams. now so um next week so we'll talk about so we'll uh so so now um for the rotation standpoint i have kershaw jeweler ryu uh hill and maeda for the uh dodgers starting rotation group and then for the mets degrom syndergaard wheeler mats and vargas i literally have the exact same thing we see we see incredibly eye to eye on that i think walker bueller it, I'm going to highlight Walker Bueller. That kid is unbelievably electric. He's a bulldog. And I think that when, whenever Kershaw is done, I think that that guy's going to be the face of the Dodgers starting rotation for years to come. That kid's stuff is absolutely electric. It's on par with some of the best young arms I've seen. Oh, yeah. And don't rule out Julio Rios. I'm going to highlight him. I think he's on an innings limit this year because of shoulder surgery he had. But I mean, when when he is when he's a hundred percent, and whenever the Dodgers move on from Rich Hill, I mean, Julio Urias is going to be a guy that's going to be that next Fernando on the mm-hmm. Dodgers because he has good upside, very good velocity with the fastball and with the changeup. And when I saw him in the playoffs last year, and when he uh, was coming out of the bullpen after coming off that major shoulder surgery he had. His velocity just came back. Yeah, he he developed really well with that velocity coming off the shoulder surgery. I was actually incredibly surprised. You don't see that very early on in in the uh, in the comeback process off of shoulder surgeries like that. Typically, you see maybe like a, a three four mile an hour tick down uh, just because of the just because of the recovery process. But man, that kid. That kid's going to be electric, and I can't wait to see him plugged into that rotation along with Walker Bueller, uh, two young arms for the Dodgers that I think are just going to thrive in this league as a one-two punch. Yeah, and with Kershaw as the the number one still for the Dodgers, Urias and Bueller are going to be the futures of the Dodgers, but Rich Hill's just good when he's healthy. But I was kind of had thoughts about Rich Hill being traded 
as well to make room for Julio Urias because with Rich Hill, he just can't sustain being healthy throughout the throughout a whole year because he's dealt with blisters and all that. But when Rich Hill's healthy, then he has the stuff. And then highlighting Ryu, I think he the reason why he decided to stay with the Dodgers is because he wants to prove that he could still be a key piece to the Dodgers rotation. And I do believe in Ryu, even though he had that groin injury that he missed most of the year of. Mm-hmm. But in, when he started the 2018 season, it looked promising. But I do think Ryu is going to apply what he had when he started last year. And I think getting Ryu for a full healthy season is going to be key. And um, Kenna Maeda is just a guy that's a hit and miss. I like Maeda, but I don't know what role he's better off in. Is he a starting pitcher or is he a reliever? I kind of think he's a better reliever than a starting pitcher, to be honest. I do agree with you, actually. I saw him uh, watching him last year in the uh... – in the playoffs, I think that uh, it's it's weird to say, but I think he's one of those guys that is is more comfortable as a reliever. I think he just looks more free as a reliever when he's pitching. You saw the velocity uptick; he was throwing mid nineties, um, and you know it, that's not to say that he can't be a good starter. But there are some guys that you know you throw them in the starting rotation, and they have to outstretch that stamina. And their stuff just isn't as good. And I take a look at him over a two, three inning stretch as kind of a a bridge the gap sort of guy as a reliever. And I think that his stuff just looks better that way. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then Ryu went healthy. He's definitely a guy that's very, very effective. Yes. And solid. Yes, he's. And then then Rich Hill's a guy that I think is just a hit and miss. It's just because of the health with Rich Hill. It is. Yeah. And it. You know, you talk about you talk about the idea of trading Rich Hill to to bring in uh, Julio Arias. I do. I think that that's one of those moves that you know you you can wait for the trade deadline to do. Um, obviously, if he's rolling well, I don't think it's one of those things that you're going to pull the trigger on. But you know, it, it could be a you know it could be a, a sell high type of deal where you know Urias is coming back off of that shoulder surgery and. You know, he's he's pitching well on his innings limit and, you know, you're getting some good things out of Rich Hill. You can get a couple of solid depth pieces for Rich Hill, plug Arias in there and and everything will will uh, will be good. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on um, on Ross Stripling being able to make a break into uh, make a break into this pitching rotation. I don't see him as a starting rotation, starting as a starting pitcher, because, I mean, when you look at it last year, I think. The management poorly uh, worked Stripling out. I think he was tired in the second half. He dealt with back injuries and all that. But I see him as a good long reliever and a good high leverage reliever because that's how I view Ross Stripling. Mm-hmm. And um, Rich Hill's the guy when you mentioned if the Dodgers were to trade him, they could also get good value in return. But I kind of see Rich Hill's in a contract here, so I kind of see him playing out the final year of his of his contract with the Dodgers. I think that they should be able to, to sustain him for the full year. Um, you know, I, like you said, when he's healthy, he's a reliable guy, but it's just, it, you know, it's, it's minor things with him all the time. I feel like it is, that is just, you know, kind of keeping him out of that rotation for a little bit, kind of stunting his ability to be able to impact them for a full season. Yeah. And he hasn't been able to do that since. And, We'll see how it goes since Arias is likely going to get some innings out of AAA to begin the season. And then 
Um, and then if Rich Hill has to deal with those type of injuries again, then the opportunity will arise for Urias to get penciled in to the rotation and make Dave Roberts' decision tough. Kind of like Mick Calloway's decision tough as well, like if a player for the Mets is making an impact. So tell me about Mickey Calloway. Is he rebuilding this Mets team on a good note? It's tough to say. Um, you know, I, I, I do believe in Mickey Calloway. Um, I think that it's – I've always said that it's difficult to judge a guy on his first year, um, especially when it comes to the New York Mets since it's, you know, it's always a, an injury story with them every season. Um, I, you know, I love the direction that they're going right now. They're being aggressive, aggressive wins in sports. Um, I love the moves that they've made. Um, I love bringing in Edwin Diaz, a guy who's a top five closer. Um, I love bringing Jerry's familia back a guy who's familiar with that organization, a consistent, uh, pitcher when healthy and, um, you know, obviously having the rotation healthy is going to be a huge key, but, you know, I think that there are some managing decisions on his part that I don't really love. I still question how in the world the batting out of order thing happened last year, but I, I have faith in Mickey Callaway for the most part. For me, for all the time I have faith in uh, Dave Roberts, despite being the most criticized manager in baseball, uh, I know he was a player for the Dodgers and, um, I really did not like his 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 decisions in making an all right in ha- right handed bat in the World Series because he pulled guys out early in the lineup and I think the Dodgers should stop using an all right handed bat all right handed lineup against lefties because I just didn't think that worked out and uh, I think um, for me I just think Dave Roberts should just stick to using an everyday lineup and that's why I, I have Chris Taylor as an everyday player with Kike. Yeah, I think he should too. Um I, I think obviously you take a look at that and it's a uh it's two things. It's a mat you know, you're trying to create matchups, but you're also analytically going with what you think is best. But I think one of the best things about baseball is being able to create continuity in a lineup and you're only able to do that if you have an everyday lineup and it's just gonna you know it's gonna mess with the the continuity if you're just basing it all on matchups you have to put your best players out on the field there's absolutely no question about it yeah and now we'll we'll talk about so next week we'll talk about our uh predictions of the mlb award so this week Let's talk about the three you win. Let's talk about the three MLB, MLB teams that is going to rise this year and three MLB teams that will disappoint. So we'll start with the rise. So for me, I think it's going to be the San Diego Padres along with the Tampa Bay Rays and the Chicago White Sox. Okay. Um, for, my, for me, the three teams, um, to, to call it a rise, I think is a little, bit of a, um, a little bit of an overstatement, I guess. But I do think – that I have, I have this team as a wild card team, the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, I think this is a team that can break through. Respect. I love the the acquisition of Paul Goldschmidt in the middle of that lineup. I think it's going to help them tremendously. Um, I think the New York Mets, being a little biased here, are, are going to rise a little bit. And then two teams that I have an asterisk on. I know we said three, but the, I, I have these asterisks because it kind of depends on the acquisition of Bryce Harper, and that's the Nationals and the Phillies. One of those teams, depending on who gets Bryce Harper, is going to rise. Yeah, and the reason, let's get to the Padres. The reason why I'm excited about the Padres, even though I don't think the Padres are going to be a 500 team, 
because I really, along with the White Sox, I like the Padres' young core because um, they're a team that could beat the Giants, that could beat the Diamondbacks, but also could beat the Rockies on occasion. I, but I also think the reason why I kind of like the Padres to rise this year is because not only they're a team that I, that's still going to be last in the NL West, which we'll get to when we predict the AL and NL division winners and placements in just a minute. But with the Padres, what I like is their young core. Oh, yeah. Hey, Margot. And then Will Myers is definitely versatile. Eric Hosmer and Ian Kinsler are very good options as veteran pieces to that Padres team. But a guy that I think is going to be in contention to be the National League Rookie of the Year along with Alex Verdugo and uh, Victor Robles is Fernando Tatis Jr., who is by far one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball. Oh, man, that kid is absolutely electric. I, I'm incredible. They have no reason not to bring that kid up. I'm incredibly excited about him. And they have a lot of good young pitching also in that uh, in that organization. Mackenzie Gore is a guy they drafted a couple of years ago. Good young electric lefty. Uh, he's rising through the ranks. They have a lot of good young guys. Um, I think that they're you know like the White Sox. They're headed in the right direction uh, with that young core. I I'm kind of waiting on that uh, on that sort of breakout year from a guy like Manuel Margot, who's got great speed. Um, he's a guy that I've seen have good bat to ball skills. He's a very good defensive center fielder. Um, and they are they're they're headed in the right direction. Now again, they're not, you know, like you said, they're they're gonna finish at the bottom of the NL West. I don't really think there's any question about that. But they are, you know, their young whore is gonna be very exciting, especially Tatis. That kid is unbelievable. Yeah, like Chris Paddock's a guy I think is gonna be good, but who I see making the opening day roster out of their prospects this year is Fernando Tatis Jr. I expect him to be the opening day shortstop for the Padres, and then Mackenzie Gore. I think should make the opening day roster as well. So now that Clayton Richard is gone. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. They need to throw those guys in there right now, get some get some big league experience in them. I think to you know, Tatis, you talk about him being a rookie of the year, uh in rookie of the year contention potentially with Alex Verdugo. He's gonna I mean and I'm, Robles. I and know. Robles. I'm watching these highlights of him hitting early on and Oh, the the power on this guy, you know, for his size is absolutely tremendous. Yeah, and um, yeah, he's just kind of like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which I'm going to get to right now. I mean, talk about him being a guy that I think is going to win the American League Rookie of the Year award unanimously, which we will talk about next week, our award predictions for the Major League for MLB. And um, if you could agree with me on that. Oh yeah, no. I think I I could argue, and I argued last year that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should have been a guy that was brought up by uh, the the Toronto Blue Jays early on. You know, I mean, just you know, you you talk about a guy that developed quickly to be able to hit at, at such a prolific rate that he did at AAA, and I mean, he's got all the tools. He's got power. You know, he he's got good bat to ball skills. He's got great size. I mean, he's got a, a, a unbelievable throwing arm from what I've seen and. You know, he. I, I think that if they bring him up, I, I'm going to make a bold prediction here. I think he's going to unanimously win the American League Rookie of the Year this coming year. Yeah, expect Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be the starting third baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I do expect the Padres to go with Fernando Tatis Jr. as their starting shortstop to begin the season so that it moves Luis Urias, another good young guy that they are, are very high on, moves to third with the addition of Ian Kinsler so that it moves Will Myers to the outfield with uh, – 
Manny Margot in center, and then Hunter Renfro in right. And I think the odd man out of that group outfield picture is Fran Mill Reyes. And that's not a bad guy to have coming off your bench. And, you know, I, I kind of see we, – we talk about the White Sox. I see the White Sox and the Padres rising, and they have – you know, they have a lot, of, a lot of potential on that roster. And you, it's going to be really exciting to watch the development of those guys going forward. Yeah, and before we move on to the disappointments, my bold prediction for the Padres, who I think is going to be their opening day starter, is I think I like Eric Lauer. I think I saw the Dodgers. I saw him face the Dodgers a few times, and I know he has beaten us every time Eric Lauer's on the mound. But I'm going to go with the guy that I think that we've talked about on the San Diego Padres, a guy that's going to be great for their for their uh, for their. Uh, young pitching staff that they have. And although I'm going to go with Mackenzie Gore as the opening day starter for the San Diego Padres to begin the season. Wow. That is, that's a bull. I would love to see it. I really would. I think he's got the electric stuff to be a number one guy. Um, whether they throw him into the fire that early, right. You know, at that type of way being a number one guy is something we'll be waiting to see certainly as number one stuff there's absolutely no question about it I do think that Lauer is going to end up being the number one starter coming into next year but you're certainly looking for Gore to be that guy for the next eight to ten years or so yeah so I think when the Padres open up the season with the rival San Francisco Giants on opening day I do want I do expect the Padres to make that move to make Eric Lauer start day two the game two game against the pot against the giants and have Mackenzie Gore start opening day because I want I think Padre fans are going to love Mackenzie Gore. Oh, I do too. I do too. And, 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 Tatis, and Fernando Tatis jr. Oh yeah. I, I can't wait to, I'm not even a Padres fan and I can't wait to watch Fernando Tatis jr. I'm salivating over the idea of that guy being the big leagues. He is just, he's an electric talent and you know, Padres fans are, you know, bathing in a in a wealth of young riches right now as far as being able to look at Tatis and, and Mackenzie Gore and Margot and, and you know, Urias being in your future. It's it's really, really going to be a lot of fun for them. Yeah, now that yeah, – yeah, especially since Christian being away but didn't work out and he was just a big-time bust. Oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was a huge disappointment. Yeah, and now let's move on to the disappointment. So I think who's going to disappoint this year – First of all, it's going to be the Miami Marlins, followed by the Baltimore Orioles and the Seattle Mariners. Oh, the Seattle, yeah, the Seattle Mariners are number one on my list. Um, you know, they're obviously they're reworking that roster right now. Um, you know, trading away guys like Cano and guys like Edwin Diaz really kind of puts them at a at a stunt. I take a look at their rhino, their lineup right now. And I, I don't really see a whole lot of impact. I mean, you look at guys like Encarnacion and Seeger, obviously, are two, are, are two veteran guys. D. Gordon's a leadoff guy. But, you know, right now, there, there's just not a whole lot of threat coming from that lineup. And, you know, you, you have, obviously, an aging Felix Hernandez in that starting rotation. Uh, you don't really know what you're going to get out of Mike Leak. I don't know what to expect from Kikuchi. Um, and then their bullpen is just uh, kind of in, in shambles with no with no Edwin Diaz in there. So that team's going to really shoot down. I don't think they're going to be in last place in that division, but I certainly don't think they're going to be very high. Um, I have the, the Arizona Diamondbacks kind of plummeting a little bit. I think that's a team. Take a look for Zach Greinke to be available at the trade deadline. 
Um, and I also, as, <clears throat> excuse me, I also have the, um, I have the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, believe it or not, being a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, especially if they want to win in a win-now situation. I think with the Angels, I do believe the Angels will give a lifetime contract to Mike Trout because I knew he likes Anaheim, he loves the Angels, and I think Mike Trout wants to be an Angel for life. But what I think needs to happen in order for that to happen, they just got to build around him. Oh, they do. And they've had they've had struggles with that. And obviously having a guy like Albert Pujols with that massive contract doesn't really help because it takes up so much cap room. But, um, you know, they're they haven't really hit yet on their starting rotation as far as that true number one guy. Um, They uh, they've been a little bit excuse me. They've been a little bit loose with their bullpen construction. Um, but you know, you like, I like the veteran guys on this team. I like Justin Upton. You like Andrelton Simmons had a nice year last year. I like Cole Calhoun in the outfield. Hopefully Otani is back and fully healthy, but Otani's uh, going to hit is going to hit this year, but he's not going to pitch this year, but he's still going to hit in 2019, but he's not going to pitch in 2019 because of the Tommy John surgery. So hey, Otani had. Yeah, and him not pitching, I think, is going to have a huge negative impact on that rotation. Because, like I said, they really haven't hit with a true number one. I think Otani, you know, would be that number one, and he certainly has that number one ability in him. But I look at this rotation right now. Um, I have, you know, Andrew Heaney, Tyler Skaggs, Nick Tropiano, um, Trevor Cahill, a little bit of a veteran. You have, uh, you know, Matt Harvey kind of hanging in the balance as maybe that number five guy. But, you know, there's no true impact arm that I see in that rotation, and that's going to stunt them in a big way. Yeah, the Angels are going are gonna, to are gonna suck this year because I think the Angels, they don't have a very good rotation and all that. But moving on now, so let's talk about, for our final MLB segment, let's talk about our NL and AL division winners with also – our picks for our two wildcard teams. So let's start in the National League West. So I have the Dodgers finishing in first. I have the Rockies finishing in second. I have the San Francisco Giants finishing third with Arizona, with the Arizona Diamondbacks hitting fourth, finishing in fourth. And then in last place, the San Diego Padres. Mm-hmm. I have the division literally the exact same way. And I think you can, I actually think that it's highly possible that, and especially if we allude, uh, go back to what I said about having the Diamondbacks possibly deal Granky at the trade deadline. I think it's totally possible that the Diamondbacks end up actually finishing fifth in that division. I don't think it's going to happen just because of you know what the Padres' young roster is looking like right now. But I do think it's possible that the Diamondbacks can finish last in that division. I don't think so. I see the Padres, the Giants, and the Diamondbacks both finishing 82 and 80, and I do think the Diamondbacks still hold on to Zach Granke to sustain the success of the starting rotation for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And now let's move on to a tough National League Central. So in first place, I have the St. Louis Cardinals in first place. Mm-hmm. And in second place, I have the Chicago Cubs. And in third place, the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. But to spe- speaking of the two wildcard teams, we will get to that right now. I have the uh, Cubs and Brewers playing in the NL wildcard game with the Rockies just missing out on the postseason. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth and fifth place teams will be the Pirates and the Reds in that order. Yeah, and I do, uh, I do like that order. I'm going to shake it up a little bit for you. I still think this is the Brewers' division to lose. 
Um, I really like that roster. I do think uh, I, I do think they need to go out and maybe get one more starting pitcher. But as far as that lineup goes, you're getting you know the MVP Christian Yelich in there for another season. Lorenzo Kane, a lot of people don't realize, was seventh in that MVP voting. Um, you get Ag, you know Aguilar back for another season. He's a big power threat. Uh, I have the Cubs finishing in second. I have the St. Louis Cardinals finishing in third. And like you, I do have all three of those teams making the postseason in some sort of fashion. I have the Cubs and the Cardinals as my wild card teams. And then like you, I also have the Pirates and the Reds finishing four and five in that division. And you agree with the Colorado Rockies just missing out on the postseason. I do. And just as and just as putting it is is an understatement. I think that this is a one of those things that they can miss the playoffs by a half a game, maybe a game, because that Rockies team is very good. But you talk about the Obviously, the Chicago Cubs are a great team, but the upgrades that the Cardinals have made making Paul Goldschmidt fit into that lineup with Matt Carpenter, I think is going to push them to a postseason berth. Oh, absolutely. And with the Rockies, I do think the Rockies, now that DJ LeMahieu's moved on, expect the Rockies to give Nolan Arenado a big payday and hit the jackpot on a contract. As they should, as they should. Arenado, in my opinion, is the number one third baseman in baseball. Um, having a guy like DJ LeMay, who was a, who was a former batting champ out of that lineup is going to be a big hole. Yeah. I, I mean, getting Daniel Murphy was good. And also Brendan Rogers is a guy that's going to be coming up too for the Rockies. That's going to be very good. But I predict Brendan Rogers being the opening day, second baseman or Garrett Hampson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love, I love Brendan Rogers. I think they should, honestly, I think they will open up with him at second base. Um, I love Murphy. I think putting him in that ballpark is going to, really help him out a lot. I really love um, a guy that I love on this team uh, is David Dahl. I think he doesn't get talked about enough. He's a good young lefty hitter. And I think that he's going to be a really, really productive guy for them this year. Yeah. That means cargo moves on. And I do see the Rocky, the Rockies starting Ryan McMahon in left field with uh, Charlie Blackman in center and, um, and uh, David Dolan, right, so that Ian Desmond could just be used everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Desmond is a good guy to have off that bench, good pop, and you can throw him in the infield. He's got experience in, in the outfield now over the last couple of years. So he's a versatile guy. The Rockies are a very, very good team. But again, like I said, half game a game at the most, they're going to miss the playoffs. Moving on now, let's go to your division, the NL East in the New York in, in right now. So in first place, I have – the Atlanta Braves. And in second place, I have the New York Mets. The third place team I have is the Washington Nationals. I predict they're going to keep Bryce Harper and pair him with Robles and Soto. And the fourth place team is the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the, all four of these teams are going to have winning records. And the last place team will be the Miami Yeah, Marlins. I do like that. I think outside of the NL, uh, the NL Central, I think that this is going to be one of the tightest division races in baseball. I really love the addition of Josh Donaldson for the Braves at third base on a one-year contract. That's an excellent deal. Still a big power threat, still can defend at the position. Then obviously you have a guy like Acuna, who's an absolute beast. Freddie Freeman had an all-star season last year. Ozzie Albies is a great hitter. And they have a very, very good young core. So I think that this is their division to lose as of right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. But speaking of the Marlins, before we move on to our predictions of the American League division standings and two wildcard teams, um, I don't think the Dodgers are going to trade for JT Realmuto because the asking price is so ridiculously too high. 
And um, I see the Houston Astros pulling that trigger and getting Real Muto since the the Astros have the prospects to trade for Real Muto and the Astros need Yeah, to they do. And, you know, getting Real Muto in that lineup would make it just all the more scarier. Um, I do have a feeling that just because of the asking price that Real Muto will stay in Miami for at the very minimum, the trade deadline. I think when you see, uh, I think at the trade deadline, will come around and I think a team like the Astros could overload on prospects to go get a guy like a JT Real Muto. I think it's a little too early on to have that type of an asking price be pulled the trigger on. Um, but the, my, you know, the, the, what, what else can you say about the Miami Marlins other than just it's, it's brutal what's going on over there. Yeah, that's a brutal asking price. And I don't see that. I, I think the Dodgers, the Braves and the Mets and the Reds, are going to be out of the Real Muto They race. should be. The Mets, I, the Mets I know are out of the Real Muto race. Um, that deal was really centered around the idea of getting a Rosario, a Conforto, or a Nemo in there, a combination of the three, maybe two of the three. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, just that what, what Derek Jeter is asking of these teams is just completely out of this world. I mean, I know the guy's a great catcher. But, you know, to, to throw up the, you know, the, the position players and the prospects that they're asking for, especially this, you know, at this point in, in, you know, the year we haven't even gotten to spring training yet. It's just absolutely absurd. Yeah, so I just don't expect the Dodgers to end up with JT Real Muto after all. Yeah, and you know what? That's not even such a bad thing because, you, you know, I, I think that throwing Real Muto in there, while that would be a nice addition for that lineup, I want to see what Ruiz can do. Yeah, Ruiz for the Dodgers. And now let, let's move on to the American League prediction. So let's go to the American League East. I kind of have a feeling about this division. I want to see the Red Sox win that division, but my mind is thinking, like, who's going to win the American League East? Is it going to be the Red Sox or the Yankees? And I'm going to predict this year, and I think this is the year that the Yankees win the American League East with the Red Sox still making the playoffs in second place as the wild card mm-hmm. team. Okay. With the uh, Tampa Bay, as they'll take on the Tampa Bay Rays in the wild card game in, for the American League side. And the Rays, I think, will finish in third place. The Toronto Blue Jays will be the fourth place team. And the fifth place team will be the uh, the Baltimore Orioles. I do like that. I think the top of the division for me kind of depends on one thing right now. And it's that can the Red Sox somehow, some way uh, keep Craig Kimbrell? The asking price is absolutely ridiculous on Craig Kimbrell. I don't think anybody is going to give him, I I read somewhere that he wants a six year deal. There's absolutely no shot. Anyone is going to give him that. I don't think even the Red Sox would entertain the idea of that, but I think that the strength of the Yankees is the weakness of the Red Sox, and that's the bullpen. And I take a look at the Red Sox bullpen right now. If they can't either keep Kimbrell or get some sort of arm that's similar to Kimbrell, I think they could fall to that wild card spot. So right now the top of the East is kind of a little shaky for me just because of that one little factor. Both of them are going to make the playoffs. I have the Rays finishing in third and the Blue Jays in fourth, but the Orioles, who are just absolutely abysmal in fifth. Yeah, so um, 
what I see with the Yankees depth chart, now that they have DJ LeMayu, I think one of their infielders is going to be traded. And I think when J.D. Uh, Gregorius comes back from his Tommy John surgery, Troy Tulowitzki's going to have – Troy Tulowitzki's probably going to move to the bench roll. So, I see um, I see DJ LeMayu starting at first base when whenever D.J. Uh, – whenever um, – D.J. Gregorius comes back, and I don't see the Yankees trading Miguel Andujar, but I see the Yankees trading away Sony Gray. Oh, I think they should trade him away. They really should. He has not been a good fit for New York. Um, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the LeMahieu signing. That's a great signing. The move that I think is going to put the Yankees over the top and take a lot of pressure off the rest of that rotation is the trade for James Paxton. I think that is an excellent trade that they made. Oh, for sure. They were over. They they did a good job at that trade, and I think the Yankees are going to be a very fun team to watch this year. And um, how I see their depth by looking at it right now, I don't see Brett Gardner starting in left field. I see Clint Flage, Clint Frazier starting in left field instead of Brett Gardner. Brett Gardner is just getting old, and Clint Frazier, it's Clint Frazier's it, yeah. time. And and for third base, even though Miguel and Duhars mentioned in trade rumors i don't see miguel and duhar no i do not either i don't think that you can trade a bat like that um and you know uh whether he's your third baseman whether you can plug him in as your dh i can see a situation i don't think it's likely um but i can see a situation where if they don't think that clint frazier is ready where they could have you know, some days you have Andujar at third and Stanton as your DH. Some days you throw Stanton in the outfield. You have Andujar as your DH. Um, put a, a guy like a, a Glaber at third base, plug in a LeMayhew at second. Vo- you know, you flip LeMayhew and Luke Voigt at first. Uh, you know, it's they have a lot of depth, and that's working really well in the favor of the Yankees. Yeah, so I think DJ LeMayhew is going to be the starting first baseman for the Yankees because – you got to make room for Glaber Torres at second, and I think Greg Bird or Luke Voigt is going to be gone. I'd kind of bet more on the side of Bird. I think Bird has been it been number one. He's been injury riddled, but number two, I, overall, at least in my perspective, he's been a, a a pretty big disappointment from the potential that I thought that he once had. Yeah, so that's why I have Lemayhew at first, and I think Aaron Judge and uh, and uh, Aaron Judge is going to continue. Is going to have is going to continue where he left off from his rookie season, and I kind of see him in running for the American League MVP, which I expect it to be a very tight race for the American League MVP. And um, now let's go on to the American League Central. Okay, um, so for the American League Central, no, because I'm just saying that Aaron Judge is going to be a, a guy that I think is going to be in the conversation for American League oh, MVP. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that there's a good shot that he could be the front runner, especially if the Yankees do the same thing that he did that they did last year. Um, obviously, Aaron Judge had that long period where he was hurt, but if he's in for a full season, expect nothing less than 45 to 50 home runs and 120 RBIs from that guy because he is just an absolute beast. For sure. And now for the American League Central. I have the Cleveland Indians winning that one. And then the second place team will be the Chicago White Sox. The third place team will be the Detroit Tigers. The fourth and fifth place teams will be the Twins and the Royals. All right. Um, I do have the Indians winning that division. That's not changing anytime soon. Um, I have the Chicago White Sox finishing in second in a very what is going to be a very promising season for them. Um, I actually do have the 
Um, the Minnesota Twins finishing in third, s- simply because I think adding Nelson Cruz provides a lot of length to that lineup. I think it's going to take a lot of pressure off of a guy like Eddie Rosario, who they're going to plug into the middle and expect a lot of him. Um, I have the Detroit Tigers finishing in fourth, and I have the god-awful Kansas City Royals finishing in fifth. Yeah, the Royals haven't been good since their World Series run, but they're going to be – They're not. I think give them about five years until they compete again. But with the Twins, I could agree with them moving up a little bit ahead of the Tigers because – Byron Buxton's good. Max Kepler's solid. And when when Miguel Sano, if he if they if he figures out his life, this Twins team is very very. They talented. are, and I was very very disappointed to see what happened to Miguel Sano last year. I have very I had high expectations for him. Big pop guy, very underrated defender, and um, you know it, it's really a shame to see what happened to him. But if they bring him back in and he's able to figure it out. Um, I, I certainly think that he could be a very big, uh, very big impact bat for them. And I'm actually just looking now. I didn't even realize this that the Twins added Jonathan Scope to their roster. So uh, that's definitely a big part uh, in, in that in that middle of the order as well. Yeah, and expect uh, Miguel uh, Miguel Sano and uh, Jonathan Scope to be in that lineup. But Miguel Sano. Just needs to figure out his life first. Yeah, he does. He does. He, um, you know, he really got away from what made him successful for the first couple of years of his career. You know, just developed a, a bigger swing. He just became undisciplined, and it really unraveled. And you know, it, it's it's a shame because he's one of those guys that has the star power to be able to bring life to that Twins lineup. And you know, you certainly hope, like we said, that he's able to get back to that form because he's an excellent player when he's at his best. Yeah, I see that happening this year for Miguel Sano because I really think that he is a guy that I think is gonna is a key part of that Twins lineup when he has when he's right as a person and when he when he is uh de- when he stays out of trouble. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know you can plug him in at third base. I think this year uh, you have C.J. Crone, who's a veteran power hitter guy over at first base. Uh, Byron Buxton's coming along. Max Kepler's a good guy, like you mentioned. Uh, Rosario Cruz adds length to that lineup. They have pieces, and I really like Jose Barrios at the top of that rotation as well. Oh, for sure. And now we'll go to the uh, last prediction we will go to, and then we will end the MLB segment, and then move on to the NBA, and then we'll and 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 let's talk about. The American League West projected standing. So I have the Astros finishing in first. Then I have the Oakland A's finishing in second and the Angels in third. And then I have the Texas Rangers finishing in fourth because even though that Chris Woodward used to be a former Dodger, I really am excited to see what he does with that program. And then the last place team will be the Seattle. I have the division in the exact same way, and I think that my the, uh, the Oakland A's are going to be the second wild card team this year. I have the Rays in the uh, – and the Red Sox as my two wild card teams for the American. Yeah, League. and I I do love the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I love what I saw out of uh, out of Blake Snell this year. He's an excellent, excellent pitcher. I think that he's going to build off of that and have another Cy Young campaign. My issue that I have with the Tampa Bay Rays is kind of lit- is a little bit based around their infield. Not so much that I don't think these guys can't hit. I like Matt Duffy. 
Um, I do like Daniel Robertson a little bit. I like Joey Wendell, but I don't see a whole ton of impact bats in that lineup. Obviously, they have a good young rotation with Snell and Glass now, and adding Charlie Morton is a good addition. Yeah, that is. But anyways, we'll take another quick break, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the NBA.